Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Star Wars Saga Cast. My name is John Wilson and this episode we're going to be continuing our look at the Marvel Star Wars comic adventures, both in the magazine known as Pizzazz and in the proper Star Wars series published by Marvel Comics every month. Before we do that, though, I want to mention a couple other things that are going on in the world of Star Wars this month. I mentioned a few episodes back the series Star Wars Weekly that is going on over in the UK. Star Wars Weekly is published every week, as the name implies, and they usually cover about half of one of our United States Star Wars comics in each issue. Now, they started that in early February. So now we're in the month of May of 1978, and in just those three months, February, March, and April, Star Wars Weekly has already made it through the entire Star Wars film adaptation, and this month in May, they begin and make most of the way through the adventures that Han Solo had on Aduba 3 with his Space Misfits and Green Rabbit and Don Quixote friends and all those people. So they're trucking right along. I have recently purchased an issue of Star Wars Weekly because there are some adventures uh, that we're going to be coming up soon on in about eight episodes, I want to say, that were not published in the United States, at least not until relatively recently. So I'm looking forward to getting that and talking about that here on the air. But that will all come later. Today we have Pizzazz number eight and Star Wars number 14. Pizzazz does not have any Star Wars on the cover. Now take that back. The word Star Wars is in the caption, letting you know there are Star Wars comics inside the magazine. However, the magazine cover does have Spider-Man. And not a comic book rendition of Spider-Man, but a live-action man-in-a-costume Spider-Man. And, you know, it's it's very 1970s looking, but I have to say the costume just looks great. It is the best part of that 1970s Spider-Man show. Uh, This does not show any web shooters, which I believe he usually wore on the outsides of his costume, uh, on his wrists. But one thing I do like about this costume is that the lenses that he has are reflective, which is exactly what they were supposed to look like in the comics. In the comics, Spider-Man's eye lenses were always white, but their description was that they were like a a two-way mirror kind of thing where he could see out, but if anyone looked at him, they got reflection. And that's exactly what it has on here. So it looks really, really neat. I do like it a lot. I kind of wish that the Amazing Spider-Man films had kept a less plain white look to his eyes. But be that as it may, none of that has anything to do with Star Wars. I just thought it was kind of a neat cover. Spider-Man goes Hollywood. So let's open it up. This is Pizzazz number eight. And this issue does have another copy of the Star Wars fan club enlistment ad, I guess, enrollment, whatever, that we talked about last issue. So that's really fun to see. But of course, the main thing I want to look at is the comic strip. Star Wars continuing the adventures of characters from the science fantasy film by George Lucas, released by 20th Century Fox. We have Archie Goodwin as the writer, Tony DeSaniga as the artist, Jim Novak as the letter, and George Russus, or Russo maybe, as the colorist. This chapter is entitled The Keeper's Secret. In the deepest caverns of the wild world, their space wrecked on, Luke, 
Princess Leia and the droids find themselves under apparent attack. Remember, they've followed the four superpowered children into this cave and they've met this really, really huge computer machine complex known as the Keeper. And it had blasted them with some kind of ray at the end of last issue. Well, turns out this is not a dangerous ray. It is feeding information into their minds, both into the human minds of Leia and Luke and into the electronic minds of 3PO and R2, where they realize that in in ages long forgotten, when ceaseless war raged from rim to rim of the entire galaxy, the people of this planet fled. They decided to go live on some other part of the universe. But they hoped one day to return, so they left behind a great computerized machine which drew all of its power straight from the planet's molten core. And it was that machine, that keeper's job, to reform the planet and reshape and make it suitable for the return of the original inhabitants. The computer, however, was lonely. As computers often are, my laptop is very lonely sometimes. It needs me to come and play 2048 on it at, at times and make podcasts and, 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 and watch videos that, that, you know, well, we just won't talk about that. So it's, it's a very lonely computer. And so it makes four children, four superpowered children. Their, their powers are themed after the elements. I keep wanting to call them Fantastic Four because really the Fantastic Four are four superpowered people whose powers are, are themed after the four elements. But, um, but they're not the Fantastic Four. They're just four fantastic children. Anyways, so the four children are able to help the machine continue to reshape the planet, which makes me think that the children don't age because they... Um, they're helping jungles to grow and they create monsters and stuff. Basically, they both make the planet habitable for the original people, but also hostile to anyone who might want to come and visit and possibly try to invade. And that's been enough until now when Galactic War threatens once again with Luke and Leia in one faction and the stormtroopers, empirical forces, empirical, imperial forces in another. So what the machine does is it gives the bad guys what they want, the deaths of Luke, Leia, and the droids, by causing a huge explosion in the cavern where the rebels are right before the troopers get to it. And that explosion is the start of an earthquake, and they've got to get out of there or perish like those worthless rebels. So it appears that Luke and Leia have died in this explosion as the Imperial forces run out of the cave. Next issue, the final fury. So I guess this is the end of the Star Wars saga cast. Luke and Leia are dead, apparently. But then again, I think that um, Han Solo appeared to die in the last issue of Star Wars as well. So everybody's dying. Everybody's dead. It's just a big old sad day here in the Star Wars universe. But speaking of Marvel's Star Wars, let's pull that issue out. Issue 14 here. Star Wars at last beyond the movie beyond the galaxy. And this is a pretty psychedelic cover. We have our entire cast of characters in a big old action pose. Han and Leia are firing blasters. Luke has his lightsaber out. 3PO is looking appropriately scared. R2 is, well, looking like R2. And the Wookiee Chewbacca is in the background towering over them all, raging at something, whatever they're fighting and, and mad at that's off camera. Who Chewbacca's, you know, shaking his arms at it and bellowing. Bleh! The sound of Armageddon 
is the caption at the bottom that is also the title when we open up the comic and look inside. Long ago, in a galaxy far, far away, there exists a state of cosmic civil war. A brave alliance of underground freedom fighters... Not to be confused with Sonic the Hedgehog and his freedom fighters that are fighting against Robotnik on Mobius. That's a whole different thing. These freedom fighters, or this this alliance of freedom fighters, has challenged the tyranny and oppression of the awesome Galactic Empire. This is their story. Stan Lee presents Star Wars, the greatest space fantasy of all. Continuing the saga begun in the film by George Lucas, released by 20th Century Fox. And we have Archie Goodwin as our writer-slash-editor. Carmine Infantino and Terry Austin are the artists. Terry Austin basically inked every awesome comic of the 70s. If you've ever read any of uh, the early X-Men run, like after their revamp in the mid-70s going forward, Terry Austin inked a very large number of those. He's just really cool. He's done a lot of really good comics. Denise Vole is the letterer, Janice Cohen is the colorist, and James Shooter is the consulting editor. We open on a scene where Chewbacca is in a rage and he's thrashing about at Luke Skywalker, 3PO, and R2. 3PO is in the middle of giving us a plot recap when Luke shouts for his help. 3PO, quit talking and help me! After all, as the old cantina joke goes, what do you call someone who fights an enraged Wookiee barehanded? Dead. Of course, Luke Skywalker's not dead. Not yet. But he is being held captive in a great city ship, and outside the hold, a big fight is going, a big old war between the serpent-riding dragon lords and the hydra skimmers of the ship dwellers. We heard all about the origins and reasons for this conflict last issue, and they are having it out right now. But it appears that the ship dwellers, the city ship people, the governor that we were with for uh, last issue and the issue before, are not faring too well. And one of his lieutenants tells him they should move the ship out of the line of fire. But to do that, they would have to shut down their sonic jammer equipment whenever the governor is excited to be grabbing the biggest spacecraft they've ever netted. They don't know what it is. It's, it's out there in orbit and he wants it. The ship was once an Imperial cruiser. It is now captured and reconditioned by Crimson Jack and his star pirates. And of course, the last thing they want is to be drawn into crashing into the ocean of the planet below. Their engines are barely holding out against the sonic waves that are trying to disrupt them because of their emergency drives. Crimson Jack blames Han Solo because he and Leia drew them to this planet, and then they and Chewbacca escaped during all of the confusion from the Sonic Jammer first latched on. Crimson Jack's right-hand woman Jolly comes on board right then and takes part of the blame herself for their escape because she had her mind on things other than pirating, such as being attracted to a man for the first time. A man like Han Solo, whom we now catch up with on the planet below. He has a breather on, and he is strapped to the back of one of the dragons, ridden by the Dragon Lords. Which leaves Leia as our only principal cast member unaccounted for. She's still inside the Millennium Falcon. The Falcon's floating in the sea. It was being towed. It was attacked at the end of last issue, and Han and Chewie were evidently outside the hatch when the blast landed and got thrown off the ship. Chewbacca and got captured along with Luke Skywalker, and Han Solo's been captured by the Dragon Lords. Leia is the only one left, and she's inside the hatch as well, waiting to see what happens. 
And I like that Leia's a survivor here. Sadly, however, she's about to get captured because the city dwelt, the city ship people, the ones who've had Luke this whole time, remember, they are really interested in getting metal because metal is the one resource they don't have access to on a water world. They can get wood stuffs, they can get plants, they can get food, but they can't make uh, metal-based energy weapons or anything like that because they don't have any metal. So they've captured the Millennium Falcon. That is not good enough for the governor, though. Instead of just taking all the metal from the Millennium Falcon, he wants to use the engines and the power drives from the Falcon, hook them up to the Sonic Jammer to give it more power to pull down the Star Destroyer from space. And whom does he need to get this done? Luke Skywalker, his new master machine smith. So he goes back down into the hold where Luke has finally managed to overpower Chewbacca. (laughs) What he does is he lures Chewbacca, I don't know, on some sort of chase or something. But he has C-3PO get down on all fours like a table or a step stool and gets Chewbacca to trip over C-3PO, which he does with a grark as he goes down. And then R2 blasts his flame, um, what do you call it, A a fire extinguisher on Chewbacca's face. Rather than smothering the oxygen's access to a flame, it smothers oxygen's access to Chewbacca, and the Wookiee goes unconscious. It's a bit of a comedic moment. I, 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 of course, we never really got to see Chewbacca do much in the way of action in the show, in any of the films. He was basically just a, a you know, shot blasters and, you know, did silly poses. But it's kind of funny to imagine the big, tall, lanky Wookiee running around the rim and tripping over C-3PO. Uh, I'm not entirely sure the gag would have flown on a film, but it works in a comic. Luke Skywalker is brought up and given the information of what he needs to do, and he's forced to do it on threat of the death of Princess Leia, whom the governor has found inside the Millennium Falcon. Without thinking, the governor kicks aside a lizard, one of the little mouse lizards that he feels at his boot, and the lizard goes down into the water. We follow its journey down into the ocean where it swims around and latches onto the neck of a sea dragon. That sea dragon goes to an underwater mountain and we see the secret world locked inside. This is the realm of the Dragon Lords, where Han Solo is very grateful for having been saved from his fall into the ocean. And he's talking to one of the leaders of the Dragon Lords now. He's uh, not really a prisoner so much as just uh, being brought in as an ally because the dragons, the sea dragons, are intelligent life forms that work together with the dragon lords. Their purpose is to stop the sonic jammer on the city ship because all of the dragon life on the sea world communicate with sound pitched beyond human hearing at ultrasonic levels and the sonic jammer whenever it's turned on it causes great intense insanity inspiring pain to the dragons right now they're managing to be okay but if it gets any stronger the dragons will die And of course, we know that that's exactly what the governor is planning to do. And a lot of the smaller dragon forms, such as the mouse lizards on the ship that the dragon lords use as spies, have already started to perish from the use of the sonic jammer. So Han joins up with the dragon lords to go and run the assault back on the city ship. But Han hears that their target is the Millennium Falcon. 
because, of course, the Millennium Falcon's being hooked up to strengthen the power of the Sonic Jammer. Han Solo takes a dragon and runs ahead of the rest of the fighting force to get to the Millennium Falcon first. He lands inside just as Luke Skywalker is finishing all of his preparations. And whenever he tries to cancel what Luke is doing, Luke punches Han Solo across the face, which I did not see coming. Luke's feeling very, very desperate. He's trying to put one over on the governor, but to do so without them killing Princess Leia. And you and I both know that the governor, uh, I think his name is Governor Quarg, the governor would, would kill Princess Leia without a second thought, hang her up on the sidearm or have one of his henchmen do it. Either way, she could easily die. So Luke's feeling desperate. He punches Han Solo across the face, but he has finished hooking up the power couplings to the ship. Whenever that report comes into the governor, Leia takes the distraction as an opportunity to escape. And while she's running away, Chewbacca storms up to the upper levels, no longer unconscious in the hold below. And he also presents a target for the governor, so Leia gets away safely. Back down in the Millennium Falcon, Han Solo and Luke Skywalker having a bit of a shoving match when Luke says, no, 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 just listen. It looks like this link-up will aid the governor, but it also eliminates the jammer's effect on the Falcon. The ship is fully operational again, including the gun system. They can blast the sonic jammer, which will save the Dragon Lords. They can save Leia and the dragons and everyone and get out of there. So Luke has done very well. Han Solo's very happy. And all they have to do is affect their rescues and get away. Back on the city ship, the governor has chased Princess Leia out to the end of a, of a long horizontal beam. It's kind of like a walk the plank kind of moment. That's or, or, if you like, the end of Empire Strikes Back, whenever Luke Skywalker is backing up on that metal arm away from Darth Vader. The governor's guards are back on the ship dealing with Chewbacca, and as Leia begins to contemplate whether or not she should jump down and try to survive the waters below, Luke Skywalker, who has climbed up one of the other masts, swings across to save her, very Tarzan style, very much like the swing in the uh, original Star Wars film, and he... <laughs> To save her, he actually swings over and gives the governor a swift kick in the face while he's in midair. Then as he swings back, the princess leaps and grabs him by the waist. The mainmast and yardarm which have supported her disappear in the thunder of the Millennium Falcon's guns. And the whole shebang has come to a very dramatic conclusion. All of our friends are back together again for the first time since issue 7 whenever the uh, post-film adventures started, and yet they still have one challenge ahead of them. For as they stand on the, on the wrecked city ship, talking to one of the dragon lords, Han Solo is staring at the sky, deep in thought about a great battlecruiser which may still be there, and its master, Crimson Jack. Next issue, Showdown. This is a pretty awesome uh, conclusion. There were lots of lots of action. All of our players were in there having, they all had big roles to play, except for maybe Princess Leia. Princess Leia, I mean, she got to fight at the end there, but you know, she didn't do a whole lot for herself. She was in the Millennium Falcon. She gets captured. She's used as a, uh, a hostage piece against Luke, which forces him to work with the governor. She does manage to get away, but then she gets 
chased out to a yardarm and Luke has to save her. So I would have liked to see Princess Leia do a bit more for herself, but that's a minor quibble. This is a really solid conclusion to the story, or at least to this element of the story. There is, of course, the big showdown yet to come. This issue does also have a really neat full-page ad for Star Wars action figures. Star Wars action figures were the shit whenever I was a kid. I mean, every single alien that appeared, every single distinctive person in the entire saga got an action figure. So here we have recreate the great excitement of Star Wars with these exciting action figures dressed in their authentic Star Wars costumes. Two seventy nine each with fifty cents postage and handling, or any four figures for ten forty nine with a buck twenty five postage and handling. We have Darth Vader, we have C three PO, we have Luke Skywalker in his uh, movie poster pose where he has the sword over his head, very He Man style, and his his uh, tunic billowing open with all of his muscles underneath, and Princess Leia posing all slinkily below him, Princess Organa is how she's labeled here. R2-D2, Stormtrooper, Chewbacca, Hans Solo, not Han, Hans Solo, and Obi-Wan, <laughs> only instead of having the hooded cloak, he has like a Doctor Strange kind of cape thing going on with the big gold collar arrayed behind his head, very 1970s. Of course, these are all artist renditions of the toys, uh, I'm sure the toys, you know, looked more like they should. It says, and they're all designed to fit into these authentically detailed replicas of the Star Wars spaceships. X-Wing fighter, wings open to exposition, laser light and sound, thirteen ninety five plus a buck fifty for shipping. The TIE fighter, flashing laser light sound, remote lever raises seat, thirteen ninety five plus a buck fifty shipping. And the land speeder, the hood opens... Wheels lower, simulated floating ride, floating in quotation marks, six ninety five plus seventy five cents postage. Produced by the Joe Kubert School of Cartoon Art. So Joe Kubert, a uh, very very famous cartoon uh, comic book artist, he had a school of art students, and they're the ones who produced this ad. So yeah, lots and lots of really neat stuff to buy. I love how all the Star Wars toys were were interactive as well. All the rides and all the action figures were designed to fit together. You really could recreate all of your favorite scenes from the film or make new ones with your imagination, uh, as we all loved to do when we were kids. And that is the end of this issue. So, next episode, we will have Star Wars number 15, We'll have Pizzazz number nine, and I do hope you'll be here for it. Thank you very much for listening. If you want to send emails, I'll read emails on the air in special email episodes. You can send those to the Star Wars Saga Cast at gmail.com. If you just happen across this episode somewhere randomly, more episodes will be found at the Star Wars Saga Cast.com or on iTunes under the Star Wars Saga Cast. So thank you very much for listening, and until next time, my name is John Wilson. Thank you very much for listening to the Star Wars Saga Cast, and good night.